Welcome to the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting Podcast. You may attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-520-80640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from Mykela was recorded on January 11th, 2024. Oh my gosh. Thank you all. I'm a little overwhelmed. <laughs> and if I cry tonight, it's it's all right. <laughs> um, well, first of all, I just want to say I'm very grateful. My name is Mykela and uh, I am an adult child, an alcoholic. And I also would like to say I'm also learning to be a very much a self-regulating adult that's uh, a loving parent today. And uh and that's because of all this work that I've been doing. And um, and I'm just uh, super grateful to be honored to be asked to speak here tonight. And um, I've, 45 minutes seems like a long time, but like I I know that I'm always sharing like for my four to three minutes or whatever the other meetings are with the timer. And I feel like it goes so fast. So it's really not as overwhelming as I, I think it's going to be. But um I do have an awful lot to share tonight, and I decided I was going to um, put put a little bit of a slideshow together to kind of give you some some uh, visuals of some of the um, things that uh, stories I'm going to tell. And um, so, uh, but first, before I even start with the slides, I just want to say that um, I've been in twelve step recovery. I've been clean and sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. My sobriety dates April eighteenth, nineteen ninety three. So um, I'm definitely familiar with working the twelve steps, and um, and literally I found ACA. I was twenty years sober before I found ACA, and um, and I floated in and out of Al-Anon uh, before. I found ACA, but I claim the same Al-Anon date as I do that my ACA date because I really got serious. Um, and, and May 9th, my, May 9th, which happens to coincidentally be my sister's birthday of 2013, is my the date that I claim for my uh, sobriety date in um, ACA, my emotional sobriety date, and my um, emotional sobriety date in Al-Anon. So, and I'm I'm also an Alateen sponsor, and I've been doing that for about seven years, too. So um, I, I, I can say that for me, I work all this is my biggest meat and potato program. But uh, but I, I don't I do compartmentalize my programs and I do attend AA and Al-Anon on a regular basis, too, because um, I understand that my one my recovery from it's a little different in Al-Anon than it is in ACA because in Al-Anon I learned how to set boundaries. I learned better on how to like take care of myself. And um, in AA I get reminded why I shouldn't be drinking or using, <laughs> which you know I don't want to think that I might decide that was a good idea because when I when I finally when I walked into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I alcohol had completely quit working and kicked my butt. And I mean, I was uh, drinking a 24 pack of hams a day by myself and smoking pot morning, noon and night. 
the pot morning, noon and night was going on for like uh, just over 16 years. The minute I found pot, but alcohol is what brought me to my knees. And, uh, and so, um, I'm drinking a 24 pack of hams a day by myself and I'm like, it doesn't work anymore. And it's just, uh, I'm a prisoner in my own house. So that's what brought me into AA. And so I thank God that, that, that I took myself to a bottom that was good enough in that program to the point that some people have a monkey on their back that, you know, drinking sounds like a good idea. But for some reason, I was blessed with the fact that it's just, I know that it's not going to work anymore for me. So enough of my AA story. And now um, I just want to jump right in and uh, I'm going to share the screen. I'm going to show you a little bit of my slideshow here. Uh, let's see here. Not a little bit, but it's a little bit of a slideshow. So um, this is me <laughs> when I was like in about uh, kindergarten or first grade. I, I'm pretty sure I was either kindergarten or first grade because I remember this picture was taken. Um, I lived in Eugene, Oregon at the time and uh, my dad was uh, going back to school there to get his doctorate in education. And um, anyway, I, what I remember about that time, though, was that I had to walk to school, uh, back and forth to school by myself. And it seemed like, I don't know, it just, it wasn't that close by. And, uh, and I just remember being scared and having a dog practically attack me. And I said something about it and they were like, well, just go the other, go one more street down and go around. You don't have to, but anyway, that's just kind of the beginning of, I feel like I had to learn to do things and be brave and just be bigger than I was way before the time. And, um, I, and this little dress that I'm wearing, I'm just grateful. My grandma had made it. And um, and let's see here. Why am I not yet? Okay, so this is my bedroom, and I have this little dress, and I keep it where I can see it from my bed by my picture. And then the little uh, picture in the background that says Mikey with the clown. I've got another one over on the other side. That's a drawing that I did when I was a little kid, and I used to love to draw clowns because uh, my mom was a, loved clowns, and also. I'll get to that part of my story. My mom was also a clown in, in a like circus style act. Uh, she was, she was an acrobat and she traveled around the United States. So, but anyway, this is an important thing because I've been doing a lot of inner child work and um, I really, I feel like I'm able to connect to my little girl um, that I'm, that was scared about a lot of things and having, you know, so even the memory of the walk into school memory and things like that, that uh, that I can kind of remind her she's safe and um, and that everything's OK. And uh, and it's just it's it's and then I, you can kind of see it down at the bottom of the picture. I have there was three uh, little picture of three kids there, which is my sister, brother and me when we were kids. And um, I got I'm going to move on to the next slide and show you this is this is me and my brother and my sister. And um, and I put these out around Christmas time, but I have other Santa Claus pictures. But um, my my brother and my sister passed away before my parents, and I'll get to that. Uh, real kind of not not at the same time, but both had pretty tragic stories. 
And uh, so I'm definitely a survivor and um, I never want to forget. And I, I miss my brother and sister a lot of the time. Like, I just feel like I shouldn't have had to have them gone so soon. And they've been gone a while. And uh, a lot of the tragic stuff happened while I was sober. So I walked through all this stuff while I was clean and sober. But this picture right here, it's an important picture because um, it, it looks like Halloween and we're looking, we're trying to look happy there. But what had just happened right before this picture was taken was that my mom was uh, reaching over one of these pumpkins and I, she probably might've been drinking, I don't know, but her shirt caught on fire. And she had this shirt called an ugly shirt that uh, her whole arm of her shirt caught on fire. And she totally was panicking and running. And my sister that's in the middle here, she uh, she basically was thinking on her feet. She grabbed like this kitchen rug and chased my mom and tackled my mom and put put her fire out. And and then this picture got taken right afterwards. And, you know, that was not a small little thing. You know, my dad was at, on a business trip in Florida. He was out of town at the time. And so uh, that was just. So, but as much as I just, you know, it's weird how you could see these pictures and, and be brought back and everything to a memory. And so um, then I just decided to throw this little picture in was my dad and my sister and I um, on the deck and my dad, you know, he, my dad was a great guy. And, uh, but he also was an alcoholic and I'll get to that here in a second too. Both of my parents were alcoholics. So, um, but moving on from that picture, my mom is on the unicycle there. That's uh, just one picture of her. And she was literally, like I said, an acrobat. And I, I ha actually have a video of her. I mean, that's, uh, that's just something small there because she, she could jump three ropes on a trampoline doing backflips. And I have a video of that too. And she traveled around the United States and paid her way through college. So she was like, but my mom turns out to be like, let's get to the next slide because she, she's like um, a powerhouse. She's like an overachiever and she's uh, ends up, you know, she paid her way through college and she ends up being um, like one of the first principals, like here in Vancouver, she was the first high school principal and here in the state of Washington, she was like number three. And in this article, you know, it was saying that she was like, um, is one of three women of high school principals in Washington, but uh, something about it being the percentage of women being like an actual principal. She was, she, oh, oh yeah, she was, uh, it's scarce with only six tenths of 1% of high school administrators being female back when she, and she got that. She was a, a high school principal while I was still in high school. But the thing about her was, she just like looked like she had everything under control, but there was just a lot of chaos that was going on in our family. And my dad, he was his own kind of star. I mean, he ended up with his doctorate in education degree and he's uh, played for the Red Sox, the farm team of the Red Sox. So both of my parents were kind of like their own little bit of kind of in their own little world of stardom. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, I don't know if that's a good thing or what, because it, all I can say is for two people that were highly educated educators, they definitely were neglectful. And, and it might have been also back in those days that it was accepted to do some of this stuff, but they'd like 
leave us kids home, you know, it, it, while they went down the street to drink. I mean, this is while my brother was still like one years old and I was like uh, three or four and um, my, you know, and they basically go down the street and, and think that we're sleeping and, and um, have drinks. And then if my brother woke up and screamed and cried and whatever, or I did, or any of us, I don't even remember exactly other than my grandma, my, my dad's mom would tell me those stories, but, uh, but my dad, you know, and he was like the glaring alcoholic in the family and my mom blamed everything on him. But like, uh, the fact is, is he, he ended up following me into the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, which I would have never dreamed in a million years that I could be the messenger for him, that I invited him to an AA meeting. And he had floated in and out of AA for before that because he'd gotten in trouble. But um, but that he would come to my meeting that I was chairing at 30 days and he would stay sober until he passed away. And this was something he wrote uh, while he was sober. And, you know, and and I, I think he I can't remember if he wrote this to me or to my brother, or, but he wrote a couple of these like inspirational things that I just I really like this. Uh, Keep on trucking. Everyone has adversity during their life. Whatever happens, good or bad, doesn't matter. What matters is how we respond to it. And then he wrote this other little one, Loving Family. Never treat your family with any less respect than you would a total stranger. Give positive strokes when you can. Stick together. After all, you can always replace money and things, but you can't replace family. And you know what's so important about that is my dad did get 22 years of recovery. And uh, and in the meantime, though, uh, there was still all the chaos going on with my uh, my brother and my sister and my mom. And uh, and the thing is, is um, my mom. Well, let's go here to my sister. The next picture, just because uh, my sister was a beautiful young lady and uh but she was also an alcoholic but she that's her cliff diving i mean she she was very talented athlete and uh and she was like a straight a student and and um all the way up until she got to high school and she found pot and alcohol and um mostly the pot thing too but uh but she went from straight a student to high school dropout like within like less than a year's time. I mean, she literally got, was just completely checked out after like when she dropped out of high school, she basically kind of worked a little bit here and there and stuff. And, uh, but for a long time there, she was like, till she, till she was like 21 when she finally met her future husband and they got pregnant right away and then started having kids, which, uh, she, but she just, it's hard to explain, but she wouldn't, she didn't do anything. She just kind of went like into her own little world and, and, and she had like a personality disorder. And then she'd spend uh, many years, uh, well, after having all her kids, she did straighten up and then um, she went back to college and she was getting an AA degree, but she was smoking pot, but she wasn't drinking. But as soon as she picked up alcohol, Again, she literally um, ended up, they, her and her ex-husband were both had issues and they they ended up getting divorced and um, there was just a lot of drama going on there and she lost custody of all her kids and she'd 
have many bouts in, with into the Clark County Jail, uh, where I ended up taking meetings in for for gosh over seven years. I took meetings into the jail here just because to honor her after she was gone because she spent so much time in the jail and it and it just never did her any good. And then she basically. Um, she died from cervical cancer because she wouldn't agree that she needed to have a hysterectomy. And, and she was like, it's just, it's just a long, it's messed up. And, and my brother was already gone by this time. And I don't have any great pictures of him other than those childhood pictures, but uh, he had schiz got schizophrenia and he, he, he might've had it pretty young because um, he, he got really bad when he was 19 though. And, uh, pretty much uh, was institutionalized many times and um, and basically suicidal for many years. And then um, he finally did um, commit suicide. That's how he, he died. And that was back in 2001 on the summer solstice. So I, um, but the thing about my brother, it was, was that he, um, he meant well and all this stuff, but like before he, he was like, totally full-blown hearing voices, paranoid schizophrenic. He had really, um, we were really close with each other, but he had a really bad temper and he, he liked to, to beat me up all the time. <laughs> and that's something that I've had to come to terms with because I didn't just deal with neglect and alcoholism and everything else, but I literally, um, was physically abused by my brother on numerous occasions from the time I was just a little girl that couldn't defend myself. My, my dad taught him how to box, but he, she, he didn't teach me how to box. And, and then as my brother would get bigger um, while, while he was in high school and everything, and I was in, and I think I was already pot. Yeah. I'm, I was out of high school by this time. He's in high school. I'm, I'm out of high school and I'm, and, but I always worked. I, I always had a job that in high school and whatever. So it might've started even before uh, he, when he was in high school, but he, he decided he was going to uh, steal my purse <laughs> or steal my money. So and not only was he beating me up and he was always stealing my money. So I had like, like, I, and I, he'd kick every damn door down there was. So like, I, I just didn't have any safety at all when it came to my money, my, my, physical stuff and whatever. And so, um, you know, that's something I've, I've come to terms with too, but, um, anyway, so that's a lot of some of the wreckage that I had. And I mean, I, I could, that's a, I could tell you more stories about all the stuff he did to me and stuff, but I'm not, I'll just like skip over that for now. And I'm going to go on to what, what happened as I, um, was in my recovery and, um, and I, oh, and I did have a son, which I don't have any pictures of, uh, that I had early in my recovery, my first year of recovery in AA, and he's 30 years old now. But when, um, when he was like in kindergarten or first grade, and I was getting a divorce after 16 years of marriage, I um, went back to school. So uh, this is what my, my bachelor's degree is in human development. And what's interesting about this is that... Um, I, I was learning all about, you know, the human lifespan and everything. And I was learning all the theories of childhood development. And I seriously did not one time connect 
any of my trauma. I was so dissociated and I was in such survival mode when I went back to school that like I literally had no clue and I never once even thought about uh, what happened, you know, with uh, when they were talking about the like the theories of um, trust versus mistrust when you're a baby and no, you cry and nobody comes and all that. That never that never even occurred to me while I was uh, getting my degree in human development. And so um, I just I still find that a little bit. Um, like how could that happen? But it did. And then, um, and I was working really hard though. It was not easy. Oh, and I was begged to come Lottie too, which, uh, you know, and that was not an easy deal going back to school when you're 40 years old. I was 40 years old when I went back and I had to go through all the, to get, you know, the first two years I had to get like all the math and all the stuff that intimidated me. And I sometimes even wondered if I was ever going to make it through it all, but but I did end with flying colors. So I guess, and that also brings me back to my learning. You know, I used to think I wasn't that smart, but the fact of the matter is, is I was smart. I just had a lot of going on in my household when I was like in elementary school and I would get, um, I would get C's and, but my effort would be ones, which meant I'd get it all my great, greatest effort, but I'd only get a C. And so I somehow thought I wasn't smart, but I think I was just somehow like, probably focused in on a lot of the chaos that was going on at the time. And uh, so I got to learn that um, I'm also a hard worker too, which pays off, but I, but I was, I was smarter than I thought I was. And, and then I uh, went on to get a master's degree in teaching, which wasn't my original plan um, because I literally had taken the wrong classes. I was going to get um, just a, a, bachelor's degree in education but I took the wrong coursework and it was a cohort program and I could only I was only going to be able to get in once a year and I decided instead of just having to sit out for a year I might as well get a degree in something else and um, it turned out human development was the only one I could get without a foreign language so that's how I ended up with the human development degree but I also minored in psychology which I found very interesting and uh but anyway, so I finished the master in teaching degree. And, um, and then what ended up happening was um, I finished it all. And then I got out and there went, it, oh, but this was my celebration moment. I was getting, you know, this was my master's degree. And I got a picture of me going across the stage. And, and it, that was five hard years of me really working hard and and I and it wasn't and I paid a lot of money too, even though I, I was actually in the, the the master's program back in, at Washington State University it was cheaper than like some of the private universities and stuff. But it still ended up, you know, costing me a lot of money. And then um, I didn't end up getting there weren't any regular teaching jobs around here when I finished. And so I got kind of angry, like, what the heck did I do? And then I realized at that moment that I never once asked myself what I might like to do. I just um, was in complete survival mode. And I heard there was a shortage of teachers and a shortage of nurses. And I thought, well, I don't have the stomach to be a nurse, so I'll be a teacher. And both of my parents were educators, so I guess that's what I'll do. And that was my whole thought process. There was no what, what I like to, to do. And I had still no idea. Uh, about myself and, um, you know, because living with, with this trauma and I'm, and it's just so much bigger than I ever thought it was, but like 
you're so focused on every, everybody else that you don't even ask yourself what your likes and dislikes are or anything else. And, and um, what I can say about that is that when I was like two years sober, I remember asking myself who I was and what I wanted. And I didn't have any idea of what it was I wanted or who I was. And, and I knew I didn't have any answers then either. And it scared me, but I just decided I was just going to, and I was a new mom at the time too. So I just decided I was just going to trust the process. I was just going to keep working my program and, you know, being a new mom, which was a big deal. And, you know, I, in fact, that's a bit pretty big part of my story too. Uh, being the new mom thing. Um, I did, like I say, I was clean and sober when I got pregnant with my son, but part one of my, my bottom was uh, another part of my bottom it was I had lost a little girl at 20 weeks and I had a problem where I had babies early, but I didn't know that was what I had. And I, I almost died, but that was what put me back. Cause I, I, I hemorrhaged and I mean, I, I just had a placenta abruption, but I wasn't supposed to know yet that I had this other problem. And, and I ended up three months after I got um, sober, I, I got pregnant with my son and I realized he was conceived on the day that she, that Nadina was due on. And I named it my little girl, Nadina. And uh, anyway, uh, I can say that um, I ended up having my son at 25 weeks. Like I wasn't even, I wasn't even um, sober, like for, you know, not even quite nine months yet when I had him three months premature. He wasn't due till the end of March, 1st of April. And he was born on December 15th and he only weighed one pound, 10 ounces. And he was in the hospital for three months. So then he came home on a monitor and everything. And so that was kind of why I think um, I, I just, it was, I was had a lot going on, but back to the, I didn't know who I was or what I wanted. I mean, I was a new mom taking care of this kid that, you know, by that time was two years old when I was asking that question just about, you know, and uh, about, so then fast forward, you know, it was like um, seven years later when I went back to school and still didn't know, like I said, I was in survival mode. And so I got so angry that when I finished and I didn't, there weren't any jobs, you know? And so um, anyway, though, I made this quilt when I was in the teaching program. And I also had a little poem and a little writing piece. I, I, I was in a memoir writing class off and on for like five years. And I, um, and I basically wrote a lot of stuff. Story. I have a story, a memoir that I've been working on, but I've been a little bit afraid to keep going on it because it's was it's been really painful. It was really painful, and um, but I'm gonna uh, just read you something about this, the poem, and and about this freedom teacher thing. So, and I wrote this a while back. So uh, the poem I wrote during my teaching program, the freedom teacher. In a world of fear and doubt, this teacher brings courage and hope. The freedom teacher sees students like a beautiful quilt made up of many unique pieces. Every individual has a story to tell and a dream to be realized. Freedom is to be the unique individual we all start out to be and not be detoured by a world that lends itself to fear and doubt. Instead of seeing roadblocks to success, this teacher helps students to see there may be struggles but with perseverance, all dreams are possible when you follow your heart. And most of all, this teacher believes in every student and at heart knows 
every student has something very special to offer the world. And so I, this is what I wrote in the memoir class about. I wrote this piece when I was attending my master in teaching program the summer of 2006. It has been 10 years now and my thinking is the same and very different at the same time. There are many layers to what it means to be a freedom teacher. In order to show the way to freedom, I need to open the door of discovery to awareness. This door, once open, can begin to change perception of how things really are. Reality can be shifted by a difference in how people react to their circumstances. This is the key to freedom that we all seek. I know because I have opened the door of awareness. Life is always changing and how I think about these changes is what creates my reality. I have been on a spiritual journey. I have been following a path that is divine in nature because it is through adversity that I have uncovered many new truths about myself. These new truths will help me to show others their journey to freedom. I have found much strength that I never knew I had. I have no idea why I have been so full of fear and doubt most of my life. I can finally break free from this curse that I inflicted upon myself for many years. I feel like Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz when the curtain was pulled on the wizard and he was not what she thought he was. Excuse me. My wizard has been fear and doubt. I am finally believing in a way that is divine. I, I, can, I, I have come home to myself. I am as, just as beautiful and I'm just as beautiful just as I am. There is nothing that I need to be happy. I am content being just who God has made me to be. I am on a mission that is my very own. I am full of gratitude to have the opportunity to learn my purpose for this life. I am a freedom teacher that, that inspires others through my own journey to happiness. What is a wonderful gift? What a wonderful gift this is. I've been entrusted to share with others and I am blessed beyond measure. It has taken many years of uncovering and discovering to come to this new awareness. Life is not a race to hurry up and finish. Part of living is, fully, is to fully embrace your experiences with true mindfulness. I have been learning to be mindful in my life each day. I do not want to come to the end of my life feeling like I never embraced the gift that was given to me. Yoga has helped me move to move my self-awareness to a new level. It has been hard to verbalize what exactly happened to me, but there has been a major shift that has occurred since I began my yoga practice three years ago. I have been reading a really good book um, called Yoga and Body Image. One of the writers in the book of 25 Stories said it best. Dr. Melody Moore described it this way. In my seeking, I found that yoga had made me feel whole. I found that through the connection of my mind to my body, through, through the breath, I had actually been repairing the severed cords, cords between my heart, head, and gut. Through, through seeking to find alignment with each physical pose, I had been learning how to find alignment in what I was feeling, doing, thinking, and saying. Yoga had brought me into my integrity. I was not in parts. I was not in conflict. I was not creating tension for myself, my psyche, or my body. In fact, I was in balance. This is a beautiful and profound. I believe we are all here to help teach each other. 
I love being curious and wanting to absorb from others the experience of a life well lived. This author was very inspiring to me. Teaching others to embrace freedom can spread good into our world in ways that we will never know. We are all valuable gifts from God. It is very interesting how I have made connections to my story after contemplating my experiences. I realize that this story is about finding my purpose. However, to find a purpose, you must know about yourself. Maybe this is a simple task for certain people. I do, do believe that finding a purpose for your life is a luxury that only can be attained when all your needs have already been met. Chaos is familiar. When you live with chaos, there is always a fire to put out. It is easy to become hypervigilant and have your mind always worried about what may happen or ruminate on the past and continue to think something is bound to happen. This is the best way to describe my life for many years. Learning to live in a new reality has taken much practice and determination. I was thinking about the story I learned in a philosophy class I attended. In Plato's allegory of the cave, people lived in the cave and never came out to see the sun. They saw shadows of the life outside the cave, and that was what uh, they, that their reality was. One day, someone left the cave and came back to tell them there was a world outside, but they did not believe it was true. I have been slowly getting a glimpse of the new world that is awaiting me. The darkness of the cave still tries to envelop me and beckons me to come back. I am slowly breaking free of the self-imposed prison that I have made for myself. This may sound dramatic, but it is the best description I can give you to help you understand what I mean to defend or to define myself as a freedom teacher. I am teaching freedom through my own story, even though I did not know that at the time. I wrote this poem. I was just responding to a book I was required to read in my master in teaching program that also had an artistic piece as part of the assignment. So, you know, that that's a that kind of is I'm glad I had that. And I wrote that. Um, it's been a, it's I guess it's been a, a, a while since I wrote that because, um, you know, I said it'd been 10 years. So it had to have been 2016 when I wrote that. <laughs> And I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I was still in a lot of dark places back then compared to where I am now, you know, with, with what I'm have been learning in this pro, you know, really, I mean, I was in this program, but having the, um, let's get on to the next uh, slide, having, having the books and the, the workbook groups I've been in has been just really good. But before I talk about that, I want to just share with you really quick what I did do, though was I, I founded an organization back in 2011 um, with, uh, that, that I didn't know at the time I was gonna end up founding a nonprofit. I actually wrote a grant um, and uh, to have uh, students in the community, it was with United Healthcare and Youth Service America to create a healthy lifestyle handbook. And it was a three month long service learning project. And, uh, they they created this handbook and we had this this big celebration um, at the library. They even designed this T-shirt, the T-shirt that's up on the screen right there. And uh, and um, and it was through that project that I founded Project Healthy Lifestyle, which is a 501c3 public charity. And I've been working really hard for a lot of years now. Um, 
you know, trying to grow this thing. And we, I have a board of directors and things, but like, seriously, it, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I just had a passion of taking my, the things I'd learned in programs to, to take out into the uh, mainstream society. Because at the time that I decided to write that grant, I was actually shocked when I found out about the childhood obesity epidemic. And so that was my reasoning behind, you know, doing the healthy lifestyle handbook and trying to tackle the issue of obesity. But then it just went, you know, I ended up, and I'm very proud of Project Healthy Lifestyle, and I still work really hard at uh, doing things. I've done a lot in the community um, and, uh, you know, classes and this and that, but now I'm more, everything I'm doing is more of an online thing. And so like this was a, I did this a few Christmases back, but I've, I've done a lot of videos and, uh, and, uh, that there, there, this is like a two minute video and, uh, I don't think I'm going to share it though, because it's just, I, I wanted you to just know that I've spent a lot of time with, uh, doing the videos and, and I don't want to run out of time. So I, um, but this is also what I'm doing now is I have a, a on Facebook, a Project Healthy Lifestyle support group. And I I post every day, pretty much every day in this group and have for about three years that um, one small change. And I just I just try to encourage people um, about making small changes that can make a big difference for uh, for health. And so that's I'm that's what I've done with my education. And that is me teaching people. And um, and I and it's still, it's still, um, you know, being more and more like, I, I, I don't even know what all the future is going to bring for this because I just know right now, this is what I'm doing, but I do have zoom now and I could do more live classes and things. And that that's something I'm kind of thinking about doing for my future. But, uh, but the, here's the joke though, that I got to tell, like, I hate asking for help. And one day it occurred to me that, that I founded a, a, a nonprofit, a public charity where you have to ask for help and try to get volunteers. <laughs> and I'm like, and, and it's been like such a hard thing for me to do, but I, but I continue to do it and I've never given up ever. And I've never given up on that because I really, really do uh, have a passion and, and I do see a need for what I'm doing out there. And it does feel good to finally really have a purpose. And, and so now I'm going to get to the, my my th these this book these two books right here are like really inspiring books i mean that well but they're hard to read i i i don't know about inspiring i guess i used the wrong word for that this trauma but mostly i ended up getting the inner world of trauma which i haven't really delved into yet but trauma and the soul i heard about at the global call of parenting meeting that i attend and that book is so heavy but uh, but there's so much in that book that resonates with me. And it's just it's deep. I mean, it literally takes the human development and the spiritual and everything and throws it all together in this book. And um, and I just resonate a lot with um, the the just it's a little bit woo woo ish if you think about it, because it is about these archetypal things like things that take over like the they, when you're weak as a child and stuff. So, but I, I I'm going to go right into the loving parent guidebook. And, and I've also, you know, done the yellow workbook and that was a huge learning experience that I was grateful to have 
the group of travelers that we traveled through. It took us about a year and a half to do the yellow book. And now I'm in this book group that um, the loving parent workbook guidebook group. And it's been over a year and a half now um, that it's right around a year and a half we've been at. Yeah. Right. Somewhere around there. Cause it'll be two years this spring since we started the book <laughs> and we're, we're like, um, we're just still somewhere around with the chapter 10 ish, you know, but this, this latest, uh, this latest one that we're on. Yeah. That's the feeling that yeah, chapter 10 feeling the healing chapter, that chapter is blowing my mind, man. It is like some of the stuff that I, the, the glaring truths that I've been able to see um, from working in that book group. Like, I, I mean, every, we meet pretty much every Sunday too. And it's like, we, and most of our groups there. And the whole thing is, is like, well, there's a lot of weeks I'm just like, oh man, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> and it's just the way that the, the way that book's laid out is just like genius. But like th this feeling to healing thing though, is I, I want to just touch on what hit me at, like through work in this last chapter is one, like I knew I had a problem with identifying my feelings and everything. And um, so, but and I, I realized also too, when I was in the yellow book that, that I really had trouble putting like words to feel, feel my feelings to words. And, and, um, and that, you know, I got this whole list of, of an appendix list that I printed from the book that I, that I keep so I can kind of look over it, you know, and, and that's one of the things that I'm bowing myself to do is to, uh, is to be able to like look back on um, on what I like my memoir pieces, everything I've written, and have to go back through it again and actually um, put feelings to it. And it's been you know words. To, so I'm I'm bowing, and there's so much more to my story than there ever that I ever even knew since I've been doing this work the last three years or whatever that I've been doing it because uh, that's when I really did the heavy duty work since I've been in these little workbook groups and all of you guys that I get to see online and hear from and I just the way recovery works it's just it's just so like I always keep saying it's just so much bigger than I thought it was and this other thing that just really hit me was well also like how my, my mom didn't ever model any kind of feelings. So how was I ever supposed to know what a feeling was? She was always, I'm fine. She was this really, you know, controlling, like I got it all together. And she was always fine, but she ends up drinking herself to death, you know, and uh, that was really, thank you. I see that. Um, so anyways, that, that was just, that was part of what brought me in to stick to Al-Anon and ACA was the last year before my mom finally did drink herself to death. But um, anyway, the, all the other take home on the loving parent guidebook was the, the universal needs. Like I didn't even know that I, I almost got just completely floored when I realized I, I didn't even know what a need was. Like, I mean, I, I was like looking over this list of needs and realizing I didn't really know what a need was. So how was I supposed to ask for what I needed if I didn't even know what a need was? I mean, that I'm still letting that marinate with me, you know, because that just this whole thing, like, I mean, I'm, I have to admit too that I have had to grieve a little bit too. I more than a little bit, man, I've done a lot of grieving. 
<laughs> and uh, but I mean, just the the things that were you know might just some people might take for uh, granted, but I don't. Uh, all I know is I feel like I was walking around in my life with being handicapped, and I had no idea that I was handicapped because I was so dissociated and. Every time that we read our um, our readings and it talks about coming out of our dreamlike state, that just floors me now too. Because I realized, man, I was walking around in a dreamlike state while I was clean and sober for many years and totally dissociated. Which, how the hell does that happen? But it did. And I'm out of time, just about. So I'm just gonna say to everybody, um, I really appreciate being able to share my story with you all tonight and uh just man i'm blessed you guys like you mean more to me than you'll ever know i mean you guys are you're you're saving my life here so don't forget that i love you guys so thanks so much for having me here tonight